When I lived in China, I was an outsider. Um, I would have I would have people point to me and say, "Lao Wai," old outsider. Um, but old wasn't really old. Um, Wai Guiran, outside country person, or Wai Guiran, outside devil person. My favorite was a three-year-old girl, the niece of a student who knocked on my door and was saying, Yellow-haired lady, get up! <laughs> I had learned from Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, um, to identify as much as I could with the culture around me so that there would be less distractions that hinder sharing the gospel. Um, as much as I tried to identify with the Chinese, even learning Chinese folk songs to sing at parties with students, my nose and my hair always gave me away as an outsider. As a foreigner, there were places I couldn't go and hotels that I couldn't stay. Um, when when Peter and I... Um, came to the U.S. in 1992, we stayed in separate hotels on our way out. Anyways, um, <laughs> also in the 80s, I needed to buy things with a, a separate Chinese currency that they had back in those days that they no longer have um, that was foreign Chinese currency as opposed to the people's money. Um, it was called Waiwei, <laughs> outside money. <laughs> um, while I did not encounter hostility, and, did not, uh, and I didn't stick out as much as a tourist would, in fact, some of my teammates would say, um, you're going to have to have re-education when you go back to America, um, bright pink, Bobby socks and sandals are not what they wear in America. <laughs> so I didn't stick out as much as a tourist, but I, I was definitely a foreigner. In our text today, we see the hopelessness of being alienated from God and God's people. Not belonging to God's family like I didn't belong to being Chinese. Not being part of the covenants God gave his people. Far from the rich um, love enjoyed by God's people, these people were outside looking in. This text is structured much like um, the first part of the the first part of the chapter that Chrissy taught last week. Um, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we learn that um, we were formerly dead, unable to help ourselves, but God, who is rich in mercy, saved us. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, um, we are given the command to remember which is not all, uh, I'm sorry, which is the only, which is the only command 
um, in the first three chapters of Ephesians. We have we are to remember that we were formerly far from God, but now and this is the hinge that we also saw in the first half of the chapter. But now, in Christ, we are brought near. Barth calls this passage um, of eleven through twenty-two the key and high point of the whole epistle. The blessings um, we studied in Ephesians 1-3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who um, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. These blessings are seen in our passage as we are brought near to God and united with all believers in Christ. The theme of our text today is... And you'll see that on the sheet of paper. Um, Through Christ's blood, God delivers us from division to unity and peace and brought us as a new community near as his dwelling place. Our first section, um, Ephesians 2, 11 through 12, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember, you were without hope. Last week, we focused on all um, people dead in sin. This week, we focus on the um, on the Gentile readers who were formerly, I'm yeah, formerly outside God's blessing. Paul begins with therefore as he moves from a focus on the individual that was in the first half of the chapter to people groups. The first half of chapter 2 flows into the second half. Now, just like Moses commanded the people of Israel um, to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and how God rescued them, Exodus 13, 3, when Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand of the Lord, um, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Paul is now telling the Gentiles to remember a continually a continual remembering um, because that tense is a continual remembering um, what their former condition was like before God rescued them. They were separated from Christ. They were not looking for a promised hope of a Messiah that is Christ because Christ is 
another word for Messiah, um, who would rescue them. Rather than being in Christ and in the Spirit, they were in the flesh. They were walking dead, like we saw in the first part of the chapter. Life is only found in Christ. They needed the saving truth of the gospel. They were also called uncircumcised, a derogatory word used by the Jews. The Jews looked down on those outside their privileged community. Um, one commentator said that the disdain of Jews for Gentiles um, and the, cor the corresponding disdain of Gentiles for Jews is well attested in the ancient world. Circumcision was commanded by God as a sign of the old covenant God made with Abraham. Gentiles were strangers to that covenant. Israel was the, the sphere of salvation in the old covenant, and the Gentiles were outside that sphere. Paul here also denigrates the Jews who had come to see circumcision as representing salvation by saying that circumcision was done by hand, a phrase that is often used for making idols. Pointing out um, this Jewish racism, one commentator said, um, Paul shows how superficial and misguided such Jews were to judge people on the basis of an outward physical marking, <coughs> excuse me, a rite performed only by human hands. In Christ, there will be a shift of attitude towards the uncircumcised. Israel had been blessed to be chosen as God's people, but the Gentiles had not been given this blessing. They were outside God's blessing. They were excluded from Israel. The Gentiles were excluded from the citizenship in Israel and had no part in the purposes, um, in God's purposes with Israel. They were foreigners to the covenants of promise God made with Israel. They knew nothing of the covenants with Abraham, of the promise to bless all nations, the covenant with um, David where a king would reign forever. They also knew nothing of the covenant of promise of the, the Messiah and the fulfillment of, that, um, of all the covenants in Christ. Jeremiah foretold of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. He says, um, Behold, the day is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for um, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor for each um, for each his brother saying, I'm sorry, and, and each his brother say, um, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. The Gentiles had no hope of becoming insiders in God's blessing because they lived without God in the world. Without God. The covenants pointed to hope, hope of eternal life, hope of the resurrection, hope that is tied to all that comes in Christ. They were without hope and without God. Gentiles were not atheists. In fact, they considered Jews to be atheists for worshiping one God instead of many gods. Ephesus thrived with its relationship with Artemis. Gods served by the Gentiles, however, were not real. They were uh, made with hands. They had no relationship with the true God of the universe. No other man-made God is worthy of worship. My Hindu co-workers are very devoted to their worship, but they too are without God. All worship, no matter how devout, is useless unless it's directed at the one true God. At the end of this hopelessness comes the hinge that we saw also in the first half of Ephesians 2. Ephesians um, 2.13 says, but now. Following this phrase is God's work on our behalf. God does the work to deliver us from the place where we were cut off from his promises. Though formerly we were far off, we are brought near by the blood of Christ. In Ephesians 1.7, we read um, a couple lessons ago, in him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Christ's violent, bloody death is key and central to the reversal of the Gentiles' fortunes, all those withouts that they had. It is through this violent death on the cross that Jesus reconciled us to God. Besides redemption and forgiveness of sin that we saw in Ephesians 1-7, that is ours through the blood of Christ, we now see that the death of Christ also um, has everything to do with peace. And that, that is really striking because you have this violent death bringing peace. Peace with God and peace with others. The G Greek word here for peace is Irene and um, it's it's... The, the name Irene that girls have comes from this word, peace. 
And that usually means the absence of war, but it also can mean peaceful conduct. But peace in the New Testament is also influenced by the Hebrew word shalom, which adds richness to the simple Greek word. Shalom can mean friendship, happiness, well-being, prosperity, health, luck, kindness, righteousness, and salvation, as well as absence of war. We see this expanded definition of peace in Isaiah 32, 16 through 18. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quiet and quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in a quiet resting place. Now you are reconciled through the cross. But um, Ephesians 2, 13 through 18 reads, um, But now in Christ, you who are once far off, have um, been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of commandments established, uh, I mean, sorry, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Through him, we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. Reconciliation um, focuses on the restoration of broken relationships. The word is only found in Paul's writings. God always um, is the one reconciling, and the people are the one that, ones that are reconciled. Reconciliation is both destructive and constructive. Christ, through his blood and in his flesh, breaks down barriers, abolishes, and puts to death enmity to establish peace. Christ, our peace, brought us near. As our peace, Christ brings us near. Just like standing before God as sinners, clothed in Christ's righteousness, we are also brought near because his peace destroys our hatred for God. We could not make peace with God on our own. Christ is our peace. Christ, our peace, unified divisions. As our peace, 
Christ unifies divisions that are the consequence of sin. Christ can fix all our brokenness that is crucified in his flesh on the cross. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our com- country is, seems is hopelessly divided. But Christ is our peace. He alone can take our brokenness and break down our walls of hostility by crucifying hatred in his flesh on the cross and transform us into unified people. It is hard when it feels like things are not right, things are unfair, in taking your barriers to relationships um, to the cross and having Christ abolish those barriers, trusting him to make things right, but at the same time being willing to give up my way, my rights, so Christ can be seen in me. And the gospel may be seen in my actions and my words. I read this paragraph to Benjamin, by the way. <laughs> um, because we have different views. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit can use the words of the gospel to transform lives for the kingdom. Eternal destination is far more important than being right about... Whoops, the page. And being right about socialism. The beautiful thing is that in Christ, we can be reconciled together and be brought unified to God. It is interesting here that Christ heals horizontal relationships and then presents them unified in him vertically to God. Usually we think of it as the other way around. We also see the same horizontal to vertical in Matthew five twenty three through 24. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First to be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Christ, our peace, gives us access to God. The re- result of I can't speak tonight. The result of reconciliation is access. We have access in the spirit, not in the flesh. Flesh must be circumcised or crucified at the cross. A circumcision of the heart, as we see in Romans 2.29. But a Jew who is one inwardly, 
the circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from God, but from man. I mean, not from man, but from God. The privilege of entering God's presence. Access is a term used um, of an audience with a king, but here it carries a meaning of temple access to God. Gospel brought to the near and to the far, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Both Jews and Gentiles need the gospel. Both people inside and outside our church need the gospel. Reconciled, we have access in the spirit to the Father, remembering we were Gentiles in the flesh in um, verse 11, and now reconciled in the spirit to be part of God's family. It was interesting. You see flesh at the beginning of this section and then spirit because we come in the spirit. You are in God's family. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints <coughs> and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and, and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Christ is your cornerstone. cornerstone. Um, we often think of a cornerstone as just a name on a building. Um, but here it is the foundation the church is built on. The foundation the church is built on is the pro- apostles and prophets um, but this shows the respect that I should okay. <laughs> um, this shows the respect Paul and others in the early church had for tradition. All Christians, um, as part of the building, are founded on the revelation and instructions given by the Spirit to these people. Christ is the cornerstone in this foundation. That is the heavy load-bearing stone that determines the lines of the building. So Christ is part of the foundation, um, but he is the key part of that foundation. Um, Christ was not just another stone in the foundation. His position is different. Whereas the apostles and prophets are mentioned because of their teaching, Christ is mentioned because of his person and work. And that was from um, a commentary. Oops. Oops. Um, Not only is the building built on Christ as a cornerstone, but the whole building exists in him as well. You are um, growing together into his holy temple. We are stones growing together in Christ into God's holy temple. 
The temple is not a building where um, God dwells, like the old covenant, but people together as the body of Christ. The temple is holy because God dwells there. The temple is not finished yet. God is fitting each piece together as the temple grows. God meets his people in the church, the temple, because that is where he dwells. You are being built together into God's dwelling. We are unified in a new reality because we are bound together to each other in Christ. We take our care. We take our character from him and live out the fact that we belong to each other, rooted and established in love. His um, new covenant people are stones that make up this building in which God chooses to dwell. God's story is bigger than the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles. If all Christians have been brought near to Christ, shouldn't all hostilities be destroyed? If Christ is our peace, wouldn't Christ's peacemaking touch the world? If Christ's purpose is to create one new humanity, wouldn't this include all divisions? God delivered us from death to life, as we saw in the first part of this chapter and from division to unity as God's people we live as a dwelling place for God and do the mission um, God has for us in the world we are inside God's uh, God's kingdom and out of gratitude for what God has done we reach out to those on the outside to share the truth of the gospel so that they can be brought by the Spirit into God's kingdom.